I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Frost, and today it's the National Equine Forum. It's when the top industry experts get together and discuss the issues that are on our mind. Along with government, we talk about the future of the equestrian industry. You can watch the whole thing on the live stream if you go to nationalequineforum.com. And today you can hear some of the experts on the Horse Hour podcast. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. Today we're at the National Equine Forum in London. Uh, I get very excited every year with the forum because we have a room filled with the most experienced, skilled, knowledgeable people in our industry. And today we've got a whole range of guest speakers and one of them is Dr. Andrew Hemmings. He's joining me right now. He's the head of school for equine management and science at the Royal Agricultural University. And we're going into the brain today, Andrew. How are are you very well thank you it's really great to be here and um, thanks for thanks for the invite but it's a real pleasure to be presenting at the national equine forum uh, for the first time so um, I'm really looking forward to, to my presentation. Well, no pressure, Andrew, because you're talking about the stereotypical behaviour of horses. And Absolutely. we all have an opinion as to why horses do particular things. And I'm fascinated to hear from you what, what comes into your realm of equine stereotypical behaviour. Yeah, well, um, my, my primary focus as far as um, stereotypic behaviour in the horse is concerned has been how the brain controls the stereotypic, the repetitive um, motor sequences that we associate with crib biting, weaving and box walking. And to date, my research is focused primarily on crib biting. And I started off about 15, 20 years ago by looking directly into the brains of crib biting horses. And we found some quite drastic changes to brain circuitry, which is generally involved with the generation of pleasure. We're talking about reward centers. And these are sort of the, the, the areas of the brain which activate as the horse engages in behaviors that are rewarding. So consuming uh, a food that tastes nice, a, a palatable food stuff. And there are areas of the brain which generate reward which change quite drastically in the crib biting horse. They become hypersensitive and easy to activate. And this has led us to conclude that it could well be the action of crib biting itself, 
which is bringing about activity in the brain's pleasure pathways. Wow. What does this mean then for, for the horse that, that crib bites? Well, you think about how humans use um, palatable foodstuffs, use rewarding commodities such as alcohol mm. and nicotine. Chocolate. Very, chocolate, exactly, chocolate. <laughs> yeah, quite often we, we use these pleasurable commodities um, to help us cope with stress. Mm. And at the end of a, of a, of a tough week uh, at work, very often it can be that first glass of wine that, that helps us to unwind, that helps us to de-stress. And our data would suggest that crib botting is functioning in a similar manner, that it's activating the brain's pleasure circuitry, therefore could certainly be used to reduce the perception of stress. Interesting. Okay, so let's take into the, the the thoughts of the actual act of crib biting. Um, yeah. So they're using their teeth. Do Absolutely. you think it's a, a, a section of that is possibly, you know, relieving some of the pressure and the tension that's in their head? I, I don't think it's a physical pressure reduction per se, but I feel that um, our results suggest that the crib biting activity has probably caused activation of the brain's pleasure centers. And as I say, in the same manner as we use pleasurable commodities, um, the crib biting could be used to uh, reduce stress. Now, this has an important bearing on the way we manage crib biting in particular, because usually we would employ harsh devices such as uh, the crib strap, we would use electrified stable doors, all of these things to physically prevent crib biting. Mm. This could well be impeding with the anti-stress effects of the behavior. And in the same way as we get stressed, if we're deprived rewarding commodities like chocolate and alcohol, by physically preventing crib biting, we could well be subjecting that horse to further levels of stress. And stress as we know, is a primary cause of poor performance across many species, including humans and especially horses. So in that respect, I do feel that some of the data that I'll be presenting today at the National Equine Forum could well inform slightly more welfare-based approaches to managing stereotypic behaviours in horses. And, and, and my opinion from what my research is showing is that we should, in fact, be abandoning physical prevention strategies such as the, um, the crib strap or the electrified stable door because we could well be interfering with that animal's coping mechanism. Mm. Well, thank you for doing that, because anything that stops us hurting animals even more and hurting the horses even more, I'm just so grateful for. I, I mean, Precisely. I really yeah. don't like these contraptions that we use. And yeah, my horse doesn't crib bite, but he does uh, chew on his rope, on his lead rope yeah. when we're, you know, when we're tied up. And I know that, I mean, luckily it doesn't hurt him in any way. I know that's him releasing his, his frustrations and he doesn't want to be tied up. And he's learned that, you know, if he chews it, then I give him some hay to take his mind off chewing <laughs> the 
rope. Yeah, but equally, absolutely. could your research potentially, it could, it, well, it just opens up so many doors, doesn't it? Because you could then utilise what you found in the brain to say, okay, well, now we know that it reduces that um, emotional stress um, and it calms them down. How can we swap that crib, crib biting for something else that releases the same chemicals, is it? Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about pleasure chemicals. That's a, that's a good way of describing. Um, more specifically, we'd be talking about brain hormones, um, also known as neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. which are basically signaling molecules for transmitting messages between nerve cells in the brain. And there are two primary ones that, that I've focused on. One is called dopamine and the others are called opioids. And those are very similar to the types of chemicals we might use to deaden pain. So the opioids are very similar to morphine, for example. And we all know that morphine can have a calming, pain-reducing effect. Mm. And the data we published in November 2018 would suggest that crib biting is functioning at a similar level, at the level of these opioid neurotransmitters in the horse brain but for for me the the stress reduction thing um is certainly featuring in my talk but the other thing that that i was really keen to to get across uh in my talk to the national equine forum was some of the work i've been doing on learning differences between crib biters weavers and non stereotypic performing um let's call them normal horses or control horses and we've been performing cognitive tests or or learning experiments which test things like very simple forms of learning called habit formation Mm. now if you imagine every time you walk into a room and flick a switch the light always comes on and we've done that thousands of times through, throughout our, our, our living lives. So think about what happens when the light bulb blows or the power uh, supply is interrupted. We'll walk into that room and automatically flick the switch without even thinking about it. And this suggests that that behavior has become automatic. It's become habitual. And we found on one hand, horses form habits or rather crib biting horses form habits at a much faster rate than normal horses but also weavers but what is really interesting crib biters and weavers will learn simple tasks remarkably quickly compared to normal non-stereotyping animals these horses seem to learn simple tasks at least Hmm. very rapidly And with an eye towards training and management, it's really crucial to remember that crib biters in particular will learn quickly, but they become habitual at a faster rate. So unlearning Mm -hmm. will be exceptionally difficult. So we need to be really careful about how we train crib biters. Now, they will learn fast, but getting them to unlearn might be difficult. So we have to adapt our training regimes um, with that in mind. Now, on the other hand, the the weaving horse will learn quickly, but tends to not become habitual uh, in its responses. So unlearning and further 
shaping of the behavior is likely to be much easier in the weaver compared to the crib biter. Goodness, this is going to help us so much when it comes to teaching so. our horses. And, and interestingly, yeah. just to think that cognitive behavior, we can use some of the skills that we've got in humans for the horses. We can actually cross them. Exactly. Them. Exactly. And in fact, quite a few of the cognitive tests that, that we apply to the horse have been taken either from the human neurosciences or the rodent neurosciences. So we're kind of learning a lot from the other species. And, and what that means is we don't have to do so many direct measurements of the horse brain anymore. We can use cognitive tests and subtle behavioral indicators rather than having to take brains from dead horses, which is expensive. And um, at the end of the day, we want to do something that will improve the lives of living animals. Yeah. And I feel that's where where the, this research comes into its own because on one hand we can advise stress-free systems for these horses but then again the recent work on on cognitive testing tells us a little bit about how we might train and uh, manage horses with stereotypy and potentially feed them as well the issue i think we've got is um if they're if it's releasing opioids it's it's not like we can start giving them opioids because most of them are banned substances okay. aren't they so we're, we're quite stuck in exactly, that way. exactly no no for sure and um what we've got to think about is uh one of the primary sort of release or feeds which lead to the release of opioids are our highly palatable concentrate feeds, uh, our coarse mixes, etc. And um, we found that the best way to increase crib biting frequency is to feed a horse a small portion of a highly palatable food. Okay, and that will up the cribbing rate because we're causing the release of opioids in the brain which is actually increasing the horse's motivation to release more opioids, usually via the crib biting behavior. So we have this relationship between feeding and crib biting. Wow. And the more we feed palatable feeds, the more we see crib biting. And if we want to reduce crib biting, rather than to employ a harsh device such as a, a crib strap, the best thing we can really do is to feed that animal as it was evolved. And just to, to, to refresh all of our memories, we have a trickle feeding herbivore that might be feeding, you know, up to 14 hours a day on quite low palatability, low quality forage. And in my eyes, the best way to reduce crib biting and in fact reduce all of the stereotypies is to try and feed a horse more forage less concentrate feed mm. now interestingly I'm, I'm fascinated with um because i i believe in that so much andrew i love horses being out i don't like horses yeah. that are in all the time i feel yeah. that all my horses have got better as they have been out 24 hours a day some don't do well you know with different breeds yeah. but generally i really like them going back to their natural roots as much as possible sure. now lately i've been bringing the horses in a little bit more um 
for things like brushing and bathing and just yeah. just because it's nicer for me rather than stood out in a field as if they're in a barn. Um, and I'm noticing the horse's stress levels increase. So when okay. my horse's stress levels increase, only a small amount, um, they like to eat. They like to eat hay. It re- yeah. re- releases whatever chemicals they are and they relax Absolutely. and they're much happier. I yeah. can imagine if I'm not providing that feed, um, if I'm not providing some sort of forage for them to eat to be able to release those, then they're going to then move on to the next step, which yes. potentially could be crib exactly. biting. So is exactly. part of this that we should be giving, making more forage available, making more food available to prevent that? I mean, how do we stop it? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I mean, Amy, you're exactly right. Um... The, the best way to to prevent stereotypic behavior is 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 to prevent its initial development because once a horse has started crib biting once the behavior is manifested actually getting rid of it is is going to be exceptionally difficult and the very best way to reduce the chances of that animal ever developing stereotypy is to try and mimic its natural grazing behavior as much as possible so provision of ad-lib forage, whether that be hay or haylage, ideally these horses would be turned out for as much as possible. But the key thing is to reduce boredom, reduce frustration in particular. Now, if you've got a horse that's evolved to deal with or to, to become accustomed to grazing up to 14 hours a day, then Putting it in a stable 
and feeding it 60% concentrates to say 40% forage. That is completely the opposite to the animal, uh, uh, to what the animal evolved to to deal with. Mm. And on that basis, concentrate feeds are eaten quickly. And if the horse has only got a small hay net, that horse will then be faced with a period of uh, boredom and even frustration because we have a horse here that would prefer to be out with with its pals grazing, but it's in the stable with all this energy that the concentrate feed has provided, but with no outlet. And it's the stress associated with the frustration that starts to bring about the changes in the brain, which starts to sensitize the pleasure circuitry in the brain. And, and that's ultimately where the crib biting behavior comes from. And so if we can prevent those initial brain changes from occurring, we can prevent the stereotypic behavior from uh, ever developing. And the best way to do that is constant, you know, ad lib forage as much turnout as possible, reduce the concentrate feeds. Now, interestingly, um, it might not solve all crib biting issues because I, I do know of horses uh, recently, actually, that were out 24 hours a day. And yep. they were so bored because they weren't getting exercise. I used to believe that, oh, I'll put them in the field with other horses. They'll keep themselves occupied. They'll be happy all the time until this one little pony came along. And if he didn't get exercise, if he wasn't taken on hacks, if he wasn't ridden um, and he was left for long periods of time without really anything from the owners, um, he was having all the food and the nutrients that he needed but he was bored senseless. So he'd cause yeah. trouble. And and part of that, part of his frustration was knocking down fence posts, was chewing things, yeah. was kicking things. And um, and he'd crib bite along the fence posts. So he'd chew the fence posts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to know whether that is uh, his, his nutrition because he needed sometimes some horses, from what I gather, you can tell me if this is right, Andrew, but for some horses uh, chew wood because they need certain salts and they need certain nutrients. Yeah, absolutely. But Research they, would support that. But these one, this one seemed to be doing it just because he was bored. And then, like you said, it became habit. Yeah. So yeah. in that circumstance, the horse has everything that it needs apart from the exercise. So, yeah. you know... It, it's difficult because it's got the hay, so it can't be bored from that. It's got the grass, it can't be bored. It's got its friends, so he can't yeah. be bored. And we can't ride them every day, all day, every day. So we're a little bit stuck, really. Definitely. And what, what I usually find in those situations, if you've got a horse that is uh, crib biting out at grass, generally speaking, that crib biting would have developed um, as a result of stabling at, at some point in its life. But once the behavior becomes ingrained, once the changes to the, those, those pleasure centers of the brain uh, occur, and, and once the behavior attains this self-stimulatory reward value, it will be performed in other environments, not just the stable. So you've almost certainly got a horse that's developed a chewing or crib biting behavior in the stable and is now performing it out in the field potentially because of the reward value, potentially because of the boredom. And you're absolutely right. Some horses do need a little bit more stimulation, a little bit more challenge in, the, in their life, a bit more um, exercise, whereas others are quite happy to loaf around 
in a chilled out existence at Graff. I mean, these, these are individuals. But what I usually find is that the, the crib biters are the ones which need a bit more of a challenge in life. And in fact, if you talk to some of the top event riders, and, and Andrew Nicholson is, is, is a main one here, you know, he, he often says that crib biters will do his job very well because they're these busy thinkers. They're the sorts of horses. Now, if he drops a rain between a, uh, a combination, they're the kind of animals that will think quickly and get him out of trouble. And, 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 and I think that's, that's really true of, of quite a few top elite performance athletes and we see it in humans where sometimes the geniuses of this world the top performing equine athletes also have a behavioral quirk a behavioral eccentricity you know they need a little bit more to keep them on the straight and narrow and to, to keep them interested and for me crib biters fit that mold because very often they're they're excellent at their job but they do have some other behavioural eccentricities which, which go with that elite performance status. I'd love to fit into that character, that, that category. However, I don't Same feel thing. that, you know, I, I feel that I've got the eccentricities without possibly the exceptional intelligence that goes with it. <laughs> yeah, join the club. Yeah. Join, join the club. Well, but no, you, do, you do find that very often, don't you, with, yeah. with, with the geniuses and the, the people who are brilliant in their, their scientific field mm. will, will, will sometimes have... Um, some eccentric dimensions to their their personality and I really I really truly feel that horses are probably the same well Andrew you're a doctor that's come up with incredible research so that puts you as a genius in my book so I'd love to know what Uh, your quirks are yeah well there's plenty of those plenty of those (laughs) usually pleasure seeking usually alcohol um, (laughs) chocolate those are two big ones for me I'm sure I'm sure I'll take up crib biting one of these days if I'm deprived of either of those um, now we've done we've, we've we've had a chat about this whole podcast and uh, we haven't actually explained in detail what crib biting is. I think that might help yeah. really in case people need to see if their horses are crib biting. Absolutely. So crib biting is whereby a horse takes a solid object, usually a fence post, as you say, uh, or uh, a stable door. So they'll take that object in the incisor teeth, in the front teeth. They'll flex the strap muscles of the neck and um, will usually produce a clearly audible grunting sound. And it's that grunting sound we sometimes refer to as wind sucking. Mm. There are some animals who will perform the wind sucking without the grasping, but usually the two behaviors go hand in hand. We see the grasping, the flexing of the neck, followed by this this clear grunting sound. And uh, for those of us who have horses or who have crib biters, we'll, we'll know how characteristic that, that sound is. And it's very often performed um, in a higher frequency, either before or after meal times. And so this is a behaviour that is generally associated with feeding. Interesting. And um, in, so the chewing could be related. It might not be, but there is a there is a could be related to it. But it's without the wind sucking. Yep. Sometimes we, we do see that. Absolutely. A little bit. You know, sometimes that's sort of confused with with wood chewing. But it is much more common to see both the grasping and the grunting. And then what about weaving? How can you describe okay. weaving? Well, weaving is... Uh, what we describe as a as a locomotor stereotypy. So 
crib biting is an oral stereotypy which involves the the muscles and anatomical structures associated with chewing on the other hand weaving is a locomotor stereotypy which involves the the muscles and the structures of of movement and so we see a right to left shifting of the head and as the animal moves its head to the left it actually shifts its weight onto the right leg and as the head comes right the horse shifts its weight onto the left leg mm. so you have this side to side lateral movement of the head it would make you dizzy dizzy, wouldn't it (laughs) it certainly does It, it certainly does and again a little bit like crib biting it's performed at higher frequencies around feeding and 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 weaving is more of what we call an anticipatory behavior so it's performed in anticipation of uh, exercise of feeding of companionship all of these things will um, increase um, weaving frequency okay so then let's say our horses have these behaviors um, we might have purchased one that you know purchased a yeah. crib biter or a weaver or, or a box walker or you know we get fence walkers as well maybe your horse yeah. has started to show the signs if it's cognitive mm. behavior then fingers crossed, I'd like to think that... I've got two questions for you here, Andrew. If it's yeah, cognitive yeah. behaviour, I'd like to think that a learned behaviour can be unlearned and we could potentially teach them out of the habit. But if it's a brain yeah. change, which is what mm. your research is suggesting, surely that's an actual physical change, which makes it harder for it us to unlearn that behaviour or to help them unlearn that behaviour. Exactly. So it's the brain change that happens first Mm. as a result of stress. The cognitive change is a reflection of the changes that have occurred up here in the brain. So ultimately, once those brain changes have occurred, Mm. we don't know for sure. But looking at other species, it's very much a one way change. The alterations that occur in the 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 reward pathways of the brain certainly in rodents in in rats and mice are exceptionally difficult to undo and the fact that crib biting is so difficult to prevent in its entirety Mm. so even with a tightly fitting crib strap most horses will uh, manage to crib this suggests to me that the brain changes in the crib biter are probably a one-way deal. Once they've happened, undoing them is going to be exceptionally difficult. So if you do see a horse, you've bought a, a youngster, and you see it beginning to, to grasp a stable door, that's evidence that those brain changes could well be on the way. The best thing you can do, keep the forage, reduce the concentrates, plenty of company, plenty of turnout you know this is going to be a horse that responds to stress with these brain changes and the more you can reduce stress in that animal's lifestyle the more you can treat it like a horse then there's a much lower chance of it developing crib biting or any of the other stereotypies you've got to get in there early dr andrew hemmings thank you so much where is this research going to take you do you have plans for more research in the future yeah what what i'd like to do so on one hand we're talking about a stress-based behavior but 
it's likely that these animals are predisposed to crib biting, weaving and box walking due to their genetic makeup. And I would like to pinpoint in those animals genes exactly where the changes have occurred so that we can maybe design genetic tests to identify youngsters that might be predisposed to stress predisposed to crib biting in later life so we can identify those horses at an early stage then recommend stress-free management regimes to reduce the chances of crib biting ever developing because it's it's a sad fact that you know if we go to sell a crib biter a mid-range crib biter that, that does its job perfectly well the crib biting will still subtract approximately 30 percent from that animal's value so there is still a need to try and, and cut down the prevalence of, of, of crib biting within the population but i'd never want to breed out the gene i think i want to use it as a management tool not a tool to say, well, you shouldn't breed from this stallion or that mare, because there definitely seems to be some positive performance attributes associated with the, 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 the crib biter and weaver. And we wouldn't want to get rid of those. No, we just want to help them so that they're, you know, we manage it correctly in a nicer, exactly. kinder way for them. Exactly. Great. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. As, uh, well, thank you for joining us on the podcast and at the National Equine Forum. If we would like to find out more information, where can we see your research and where can we follow you to find out what you find next? Yeah, you can go to um, www.rau.ac.uk. That's rau.ac.uk. That's our university website. You'll find a section of my research there. Um, come and see us at the university. I'd, I'd, I'd love to, to, to talk you through it in, in, in more detail. You know, we're, we're an open shop. Um, and come and see what we do. And um, I can even show you some of the cognitive tests um, and other learning experiments that, that we do with these horses. I think it, yeah. it's all about trying to make the, the, the horse owner feel feel as though they're in touch with the research and they can take the research and do something useful with it. And I feel that that's a, that's a key goal that we have as a university to, to make the research accessible to, 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 to a broader population than just our students. That's so kind of you because genuinely I think we're, we're so lucky to with technology with these forums with you know the internet today we're lucky to be able to access the research that you make available um, but to really understand it is is another level <laughs> and also to be involved in it it would be amazing i'd love to be involved in research so well thank you for opening your doors to us it's very kind and to our listeners and um, if you, as a listener, do decide to go and see Andrew, please let me know. Tag us at Horse Hour and uh, hashtag Horse Hour because we'll follow your journey. I'd love to know what you learn. So, uh, well, Andrew, thank you very, very much for joining us today. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you next find out in your research. Absolute pleasure, Amy. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget you can catch previous episodes of the Horse Hour podcast on our website. Just head to horsehour.co.uk and of course you can hear all the guest speakers from the National Equine Forum on their website, nationalequineforum.com. Have a great week with your horse and I'll speak to you soon. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.